Welcome to Marketing Thought Leadership, the podcast that offers insightful discussions on thought-provoking marketing topics. Here's the host of our show, marketing consultant, speaker, author, and educator, and the president of Leverage 2 Market Associates, Linda Popke. Hi, this is Linda Popke, and welcome to our latest episode of Marketing Thought Leadership. We're here today with Evan Hackle, who is the creator of the concept of engaging leadership and the author of Engaging Leadership. He's a successful businessman who started more than 10 companies. During his tenure at CCA Global Partners, he ran a $5 billion, with a B, division. One of his signature achievements was turning around a bankrupt business in four years, more than doubling system-wide sales to exceed $2 billion. As CEO of Tortal Training, a Charlotte, North Carolina-based firm that specializes in developing and implementing interactive training solutions for companies in all sectors, he was a leader in the training field. He's also founder and principal of Engage Consulting, which is headquartered in Massachusetts. He's recognized as a thought leader, speaker, and author on leadership. So welcome, Evan. Great to be here, Linda. So the first thing I have to ask you is you, you talk about engagement rather than engagement, spelled I-N-G-A-G, uh, I-N-G or engagement. So why are you spelling this word kind of what we used, are used to as engagement with an I? Well, what I'm presenting is a concept of a higher level of engagement, which is engagement. The I stands for involvement. So many people in many companies are engaged with an E, meaning the company's done a fairly good job of sharing with them what's happening and what's going on in the, in the organization. But my level is a higher level where the company actually reaches out to its employees and staff, and for that matter, its customers, its vendors, and asks for and gathers their input so that people, instead of feeling like they're being talked to, are feeling involved and truly engaged in the process of helping the company grow and become better and more successful. So it's a higher level than simple uh, engagement. It's engagement. So where did this idea come from? Because it's fascinating to me, and I love this, because everybody wants to talk about customer engagement, employee engagement, et cetera. But you're right. There's a certain level, and, and that's it. So you're talking about going above and beyond, being proactive, et cetera. Where did this idea come from? Well, it really started in, in 2000, and as you mentioned when you did my short little read, uh, there was a franchise organization called Flooring America, and their parent company, uh, the franchisor, went bankrupt, closed 400 company-owned stores, and there were 202 franchisees that were left and doing about $700 million in volume. Well, these franchisees were really, really upset because a franchisor that goes out of business bankrupts the value of the brand name, you know, all these bankruptcies is very low. And as I'm sure you can imagine, when a company's losing money and going out of business, services to the franchisees is, is very low. Oh, I can so really when, imagine, yeah. Yeah, no. And when our company went to purchase it, the franchisees lobbied successfully with the uh, judge to reduce the length of their franchise agreement so, in theory, they could all leave at the end of one year. And, and they couldn't keep the name Flooring America, but they could stay in the flooring business just changing their name. Mm -hmm. So we had one year to get everyone involved and get everyone excited and get everyone passionate. 
So what we did is we started a listening tour where we went around the country and I think we did maybe 14 or 15, you know, kind of town hall kind of meetings so people could drive in and we could talk and we could ask them questions and we could listen. And we did surveys and we created regional networking groups and we worked on building a plan based on the input that we got. And then when we built the plan, we went back and, and again got input. Is this the right plan? Is this what we want to do? And then we had a big national convention and we presented the the result of this plan and everyone could feel the fact that the plan was of the company not from management down right. and in most companies um, things come from the top down in this case it really was a completely participative process so what I realized was that by getting people to be involved in the solution they became owners and they were much more receptive. And, and by the way, not only we get input from the franchisees, we got input from the franchisees' employees, we got input from our own employees, we got input from suppliers. So what ended up happening is that the energy level of the organization and the focus of the organization became so positive and so energized that only two of the 202 franchisees left at the end of the year. Wow. And we grew from $700 million to $2 billion in system-wide sales in, in four years. We went from 300 locations to 579, which means that, yeah, we grew a lot because we added locations, but the same store sales of the people that were in the system also skyrocketed and greatly outperformed the marketplace so that everybody was benefiting from this energy. And part of why we added a lot of new uh, locations was because the word was getting around, we were a great place to be part of, you know, great system to be part of, so that people wanted to become part of it, uh, which helped us grow locations, not just same system sales. So I realized this is amazing. And then I started really reflecting on my own career and things that I, I did in the past. and. I've done a lot of this, starting new businesses where you really get people involved, and I've started three new franchise companies and, and a lot of different businesses, and I've always sort of been this engaging leader, but I've never really thought about it quite that way, and I never, you know, I sort of, when I, you know, Floyd America was a massive organization, so it's one thing to get engagement, you know, when you've got a company of 10 or 15 people. It's another thing when you have an, an organization, you know, that's made up of 10 or 15,000 people, uh, which is what Flooring America was. So I then, you know, started applying this to other things that I was doing. And after doing Flooring America for four years, I moved on to an even larger organization, a $3.5 billion system. And that system was great. They were doing really well. We applied the same process to that system, and even though they were doing really well and they were growing faster than the industry, we again supercharged them, and we got their same, sort, same store locations to do much better, their profitability to increase by, by again, engaging and involving people uh, and creating a sense of ownership of the idea. So, you know, I think about it this way. And I think this is a good way to think about it. When someone tells you what to do, they own the success. When right. you collaborate, everyone owns the success. 
So everybody is vested in the organization being successful, and, and that's really the difference, and that's why I like engagement with an I. That's great, and, and I think, too, when someone tells you what to do, you get compliance, right? Yeah, I can do that yeah. or I cannot, but when it's your idea, there's really this sense of involvement and ownership and, and engagement. So love this, love this. And I, this I do want to point one thing out, Linda, though, and I think this sure. is important. Obviously, we don't accept, you know, when you do this, everybody's idea. That would be impractical. Right. Um, and ultimately, there has to be a clear vision, clear focus. So even though people might look at this and say, hey, not everything I thought of was used or, or whatever, that appreciation of being part of the process and knowing that people are listened to is, is really critical. And, and as I'm on this, I just like this point because I think this is a really important when you go through this process, you have to actually believe that you're going to get better ideas than what you would generate on your own, as opposed to going through a process where you kind of fake it yep. and make people think you're pulling, but you're really not going to ever change your mind. That doesn't work either. Yeah, and that makes sense because people see through that. You can do that for a very short period of time, but then it becomes apparent that this was all just an exercise. But uh, I do think it's, it's great that, because a lot of times people want to be heard. Right? They want to be listened to, and they want you to know that you're at least considering what they're saying. Um, and I talk in my book, Marketing Above the Noise, I talk about when you, you ask for feedback and input from a customer or a vendor or a partner or an employee, anybody, the part of this is acknowledging what you heard and saying, and here's what we're going to do, which may not be what you want me to do, but at least acknowledging that here's what I heard about this. Uh, and I know that, uh, that, that you're, um, you've got a, a point and you've got a, a a thought and you've got a reason for this and here's what we're going to do next which may not be exactly what you want but at least you've been part of the process so I, I love that so uh, in your book you talk about levels of communication so what are the different levels of communications to be more engaged well essentially what I talk about in the book is that you've got sort of a basic level of kind of invasive this is where you're being very direct you're, you're not you're not, uh, you're not really looking to collaborate. And, and there are many times that you need to be direct. I mean, right. if you fully collaborate in every conversation you have, let's face it, you would, you would be, um, you know, you would be in, uh, it would take you forever to talk to anybody. And then, then there's sort of a, a middle level where you're kind of having a conversation, but you're really not. You kind of know what you want. You're kind of pretending to be listening. But then there's this higher level, which I call open and honest communication. Mm -hmm. And I, I think the key here, and this, and this is sort of the epiphany for me, is I, I, everyone always said to me, you know, Evan, you're a really good listener. We really appreciate that. And I always felt good about it. I went to a personal development program. Uh, and when I was in this program and we got into communication, I said to myself, well, I'm going to do well because I'm really good at it. But what I realized was I wasn't. I was really a manipulator <laughs> because when I was – it's true. When I was talking to people, I wasn't listening for why they were right. I was listening for why they were wrong. Ah. So I had a point of view. Now, I was wonderful. I would go, Linda, let me, ask, let me know a little bit more. Why do you think this? And have you thought about this? And, and you know, and you'd go and think, my, 
Kevin really cares about what I have to think, right. but I'm always listening for why you're actually wrong. So then in the end, I go, you know, listen, Linda, I listened to you. I heard you said this and this and this. And you go, well, I did listen. And I said, but you missed this and this and this. And this is why I think my idea really makes sense. And, and, and I have to say, it was effective from the point of view that, you know, I had good relationship. People did feel heard. But what I really did is I missed the opportunity when I started to listening for why people were right. And this is a tough thing for people to do, but when you go into a conversation saying, where's the kernel of truth? What is it that Linda's saying to me that could be better than what I'm saying? And, and why could I be wrong, and why could she be right? And when you start doing that, you start opening up your mind to other possibilities. And sometimes the person you're talking to, in fact, is right. Yep. Sometimes there's a middle ground that you didn't think of, that their idea leads, you know, you kind of build on their idea. Um, and when you start doing this, you get better ideas. And that's really, you know, a huge epiphany for me because for a lot of my career, um, you know, we would do like advisory council meetings and things like that. And our goal wasn't really to listen. Our goal was really to use the, the franchisees or the co-op members um, as a focus group, you know, to understand what, we would hear from others, understand what we could price something at. But when you start to change to say, oh, no, these people actually have good ideas, and I want to listen for why they're right, not wrong, it's a game changer. And, and the organization builds better ideas, and you have greater success. And so in the book, what I really talk about is how to move into that direction and why that's important. Um, because most people live, you know, in conclusive conversation where they're going into the conversation really with the idea of, you know, my mind's made up, but I'm still having a conversation. And if you can shift to open and honest, it just makes, it just makes a huge difference. Um, and I think that if people try that, I mean, that little idea of what is the kernel of truth, why could they be right? I think it'll make a, a major difference, and I challenge every everyone listening to us today to spend the next week and listen for that when you're talking. And are you really open-minded, or are um, and listening for why they're right, or are you closed-minded and really listening for how you can win the argument? You know, it's really funny, but I think you know here we are a couple of months past a extremely contentious election where we. We have, if anything, a country that seems more divided than before. And what you're saying, I think, is something that we're not doing as a country and as a people. We have you know, people on the blue side and we have people on the red side. And we all know that we're right. And we, when we try to have a conversation across the aisle, so to speak, is to prove the other person wrong. So I think this happens, even though it's wonderful to do with your, your customers, your employees, your partners, whomever, I think just in everyday conversation amongst our, ourselves, it would be valuable to do as well. Well, I, I can tell you that uh, my relationship with my wife mm -hmm. greatly improved, my relationship with my children, relationships with my friends, uh, everything, everything deepens. But as we're on the topic of politics, there's another chapter in my book that I really like to talk about, and that's the difference between fact and opinion. Ah. And so many people in politics state their opinion like it's a fact. Yep. And um, what happens when people 
when people do that is it shuts off the other person from from responding because it's almost like they have to call you a liar to respond to you because you stated an opinion as if it was a fact. Yep. And if people take the time to delineate and say, I think this, in my opinion, this is what I think we should do, that opens up the conversation for someone to share an opinion that is different. But when, some, when someone says, this is, you know, this is the way it is, this is right, this, and, and, and presents their opinion like it's an actual fact, it's very harmful for meaningful conversation. And we do this all the time. I look for it. I do it myself occasionally. I mean, it, and we all have to give ourselves grace. We're not perfect people. Right. But the more, the more you can share an opinion, uh, and in fact, in my book, and I didn't do it at the beginning of this thing, I probably should have, you know, I believe engaging leadership is a very, very powerful tool. Mm-hmm. There are other forms of leadership. Uh, they're different. Uh, in my opinion, engaging leadership is very effective. But there are times in different kinds of businesses, other leadership styles might be better. Um, you know, so, you know, in, and, you know, if you're, if you're in the military and, you know, you're about to go to battle, in, engaging leadership, maybe not the right decision at that moment. <laughs> right. Time. Um, so, you know, it's, you know, everything I'm sharing here is, you know, my point of view built on years of experience um, and, you know, my book really shares stories that help people see that. And years of observation, because I now consult and I've worked with many, many organizations uh, to see what impacts of other leadership have. But we all have to be open to that there are other ideas that are better than ours. And we all have to be open to um, other people's opinions. I think that, that makes a lot of sense. So, Evan, let me ask you one final question. This all sounds great. Why do you think that most managers don't do more of this engaging leadership. And let's take away the military and, the, you know, obviously you're, you're, you're landing an airplane and, you know, you're not going to argue with air traffic control about what runway to come down on. You know, you need to be told. But let's take those situations out of the picture. In everyday life, why are most managers not doing more of this engagement? I, I think that there are two major reasons. The first, which in my opinion is incorrect, is an assumption it takes too much time. Mm-hmm. And the reason I think it's incorrect is because if you work to create this shared vision and you get engagement, then the execution becomes simpler and easier when everyone's on the same page. There are yeah. less mistakes, and thus there's a great efficiency. But I think a lot of people think, oh, this is great, but you know what? I'm too busy to reach out to people and, and have conversations and get input and, and those type of things. And then the second is, you know, fear of being uh, a fraud, Mm. that, you know, that other people's ideas are going to be a lot better. They're going to look stupid and foolish. Um, I think it's also a misnomer. I think that people respect people that are confident enough to ask other people their opinion. Uh, I have talked to leaders that have said, you know, if I ask people for opinions, they're going to be worried I don't know the answer. And if you're a true leader, people want to look up to that leader, and that leader is a person that knows the solution. They know the answer, and that's why they're inspired by that leader. If the leader asks questions and people doubt the leader really knows the answer. And I can understand their point of view. I I just personally disagree with it. 
I think people really respect when someone is open enough to look at all options, listen, and then make a really good decision based with the best information as opposed to somebody that just is doing it on their own without you know, getting the input uh, and the involvement of, of everyone in the organization. That makes sense. That makes sense. So these reasons are really sort of um, fallacies in a sense or myths because it, if you do this work up front, then the execution is taking less time. And if you engage people and you get them uh, working with you, it doesn't necessarily mean that you don't know the answers. It means that you're willing to be big enough to say the answer may not be with me. That's so right. That's, that's wonderful. We've been talking with Evan Hackle. He is the, um, the founder and principal of Engage Consulting and the author of Engaging Leadership. And, Evan, if people wanted to find out more about you and your book and your work, where would they go? Uh, there are two places. Uh, Engage, spelled with an I, I-N-G-A-G-E dot net is my company website. Okay. Uh, if you go on my website and you look for my book and you click on it, It'll give you a lot more information on my book. Of course, you can buy the book on Amazon. You can certainly learn about my company. But, uh, and this is a free offer. On my website, I have a leader's guide for my book. But wow. the interesting thing is you don't even have to read the book to use the leader's guide. The leader's guide has exercises to create engagement within your business and to see how engaged people are. So uh, if you just go to engage.net, you can download this free leader guide and have great exercises to do. Well, I hope you buy my book. I would love you to buy my book, which, by the way, is available also in audio as well as in, in written form. Um, the other website is my training company, uh, Tortal. Think of Portal, but a T for training, so a training portal, and it's spelled uh, T-O-R-T-A-L dot net. And um, you can learn all about my training company there and the things that we do. Um, we really take training and take this philosophy engagement to high level. Uh, we try, A, in the development of our training to really get users, people that actually do the work involved in the development of the training as, as opposed to just people at the higher levels of the organization that don't get their hands dirty. And we create really interactive, engaging training that people enjoy taking uh, and uh, you know, we, our goal is to make effective training easy. So those are sort of the two ways that you can learn more about my company, et cetera. That's fantastic. We've here, been here again with Evan Hackle, author of Engaging Leadership. Thank you so much for being with us, Evan. It's been my pleasure. Okay. This is Linda Popke. Until next time, thank you for listening to Marketing Thought Leadership. We hope you enjoyed this edition of Marketing Thought Leadership. Brought to you by Leverage 2 Market Associates. If you'd like to find out how powerful marketing results can transform your organization, contact us at www.leverage2market.com.